0: A young man sits by the side of the road, sad, for he is the child of a man who loved him but little, and a mother who, though she adored him, died when he was only five. A young man sits by the side of the road, depressed, for he is possessed of a genius so sensitive as to require sympathetic treatment, else it eats its own heart. A young man sits by the side of the road, despondent, for he is the reincarnation of an ancient king cursed to wander the earth in search of a daughter not born of Adam who might love him and lift the spell. So begins the wonderful story of Ravalette by African-American trance medium turned modern occultist, Pascal Beverly Randolph. Today on Occult Confessions, we explore the mysterious novel and still more mysterious life of one of America's first occultists. My name is Rob C. Thompson, the Supreme Hierophant of our Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. I'm joined by Olivia Littoral, Grand Grandmaster of the Order. Hello! And James Kaplanges. Welcome, James. Hello!
1: Uh,
0: you Hello. guys ready for Randolph?
2: Yes,
1: sir. Oh, yeah. We're so ready. It's going to be awesome.
0: I think so. I think so, yeah. It's going to be an exciting episode. He's a very interesting character. Uh, interesting medium, interesting occultist, sex magician. So many fun things to talk about today. All right, let's pledge it out. We the members members of the the secret secret order of alchemical alchemical actors actors do solemnly solemnly commit ourselves to a a full and and honest telling of the 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 history of the occult occult as far as as we know it. Okay, uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, occultism, friends. Uh, You know, (laughs) uh, what I'd like to plug today is the idea that... uh, we should share we should we should come out of the closet maybe is what i'm trying to say here i'm gonna make this pitch when i started this show olivia i think james you probably know this story uh we were sending out some mailers and stuff uh you know different things to like our first patrons And something came back in the mail to the college and it caused this whole big uproar about whether I was teaching black magic on campus and all sorts of stuff, because the mail had come back through the mailroom. And so everyone was like, what is this occult thing Rob is doing? We have to be mindful that there's a stigmatization of the, the things we talk about on this show. But we need, I think we need to come out. We need to be loud and proud uh, about this belief system, about third ways of knowing. By belief system, I don't mean Satanism, I don't mean chaos magic, I don't mean Thelema, I mean all of it. Anything that's, you know, a, a third way. You know, it's not a strict religious faith, it's not a strict scientific dogma, it's these third ways of knowing. They're stigmatized. We're called weird. We're called kooky. We don't know what we're talking about. But we do. This is serious stuff, and there's serious thought behind it. Um, so if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the last episode, you're enjoying this episode, you're going to enjoy the next episode, be loud and proud. Tell people about the show. Review the show. Drop us some stars. Give us some love. Let people know. Let them know that you are a proponent of third ways of knowing. All right, oh. Olivia. How about All that? Right. Yeah.
2: Go off, Rob. Go off. <laughs> Damn. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Uh, you know. Yeah, that,
2: that was zesty. I liked it. <laughs> I keep calling you zesty recently. I don't you know did. You called
0: me zesty yesterday.
2: That's Spicy true. and zesty. That's like my two words for you recently. What anyway.
0: goes good with lemon zest? That could be your complimentary spice. Salt? A little salt? You could be salt. Oh. You are salty. That's true.
2: Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love where this has gone.
0: (laughs) A little zesty, a little salty. James, you can play too. You can be the the fish. You can be the tilapia.
2: (laughs) Oh, we're a whole Uh, course meal. I'll be tilapia
1: as long as I'm drenched in lemon.
0: Lemon and salt, man. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this show before people tune out. (laughs) Pascal Beverly Randolph published The Wonderful Story of Ravellette himself in 1871. It was self-published, and it is one of the most enigmatic occult novels of the genre. The occult novel had first been popularized by Edward Bulwer lytton in 1842 with his novel Zanoni, and it featured themes of occult fraternities, supernatural feats, and the rising career of an initiate. Zanoni was an entirely fictional creation, although many suspected and continue to argue that Bulwer-Lytton had incorporated elements of his personal experiences in occultism and mesmeric circles into that novel. The lines between fiction and reality blurred as readers looked for clues to the secret life of occultists between the pages. The American Randolph brought this border crossing to new levels with the wonderful story of Ravalette. His protagonist, Beverly, which is just his middle name. Right? So, a <laughs> little telegraphing there. The author is Pascal Beverly Randolph. The protagonist is named Beverly. Beverly resembles the author in almost every detail, except for the fact that he is caught up in an ancient curse that causes him to be reincarnated lifetime after lifetime, wandering lonely and depressed until he should find and love a daughter of Ish. I-S-H, Ish. Does anybody know what a daughter of Ish is? Is this
1: uh, like a biblical
2: thing?
0: I think so, yeah.
2: I'm trying Hamish it's like not biblical. Who else has an ish in their name?
0: Ha- Hamish? <laughs> Hamish?
2: Hamish, Hamish, whatever. Hamish is his- a,
0: it's a Highland cow in Scotland. He's a, the mas- mascot mascot of the uh the Highlands. I think Hamish, he's the- also
2: in the Bible, right? Yeah, Maybe probably. I'm wrong. Yeah, they probably that got it from be. the Bible. Someone out there is like really just shaking their head right now at me, probably <laughs> being like, No bitch, you're wrong, but it's okay
0: the daughters of ish are women not born of the line of adam so they're human beings but they are not of the line of adam
2: how did okay how
0: uh, i mean biblically there are these like tribes that exist outside who come in and like bang the children of adam oh okay yeah. gotcha it's just like it's there's this moment in the bible where god creates man and then later in genesis it's just like and there were these other people over here
1: They were not God's chosen people.
0: Oh, yeah, there it is. No. No. Randolph, like his American occult contemporaries, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky and Emma Harding Britton, was fantastically self-promoting, albeit slightly less successful than these women, perhaps because of the challenges presented by his race during the period of Reconstruction. Mm. After all, he was African-American. I mean, there's a. I think there's a connection between these three figures, but Blavatsky, Britain, Britain we're going to be talking about, we talk about in our American series later. Uh, Blavatsky, both Blavatsky and Britain were women, right, in the 19th century, so they didn't really have a platform to speak on. And both of them were immigrants to America, Blavatsky ultimately emigrating as well, but Britain becoming American after leaving England. So they were outsiders, And Randolph was American-born, but he was African-American, so he was also treated as an outsider by the establishment. See what I mean? Yeah. In many ways, Ravalet can be read as an extended advertisement for Randolph's various occult commercial enterprises.
1: (laughs) Such as? Yeah,
2: like... He had
0: a podcast, for one. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Wow. Good (laughs) The plot features a magic mirror, which Randolph sold... He sold magic mirrors, as well as alchemical elixirs, which he sold, uh, featured in his mail order shop. So he had like a mail order catalog. He was like the occult seers. That's neat. Yeah.
1: I would love to see one of those.
0: How
2: <laughs> big are these mirrors? Like, are we talking about like compact mirrors or like hang on your wall mirrors?
0: I, like like face mirrors, you know, like uh, that's Like size. a compact mirror. Oh. Not, not exactly. Like co- a well, handheld it, mirror. Yeah, but not like a full length, or, length mirror. You know what like I mean? Like a beauty mirror. Yeah, there you go.
2: Because I was about to say, does he just have all of these mirrors? Because that seems <laughs> like a dangerous job. I don't know.
0: To like own them and sell to ship them? Yeah, I don't know. Like
2: does he have them in a, like where does, do they this break be- a lot? I don't before know. Before the
0: invention of bubble wrap. I don't have the answers to these questions about how many yeah, broke yeah, yeah. in root. It's just the-
2: weird shit I wonder about, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good question. It's tough to mail a mirror today. Uh, its protagonist uh, is a Rosicrucian, protagonist of the Ravelette. the story, is a Rosicrucian. And uh, in an extended footnote, Randolph encourages readers to write him to request more information about joining one of his Rosicrucian societies that he had created in the U.S. Hmm. And the theme of the Daughter of Ish comes from yet another Randolph text, which uh, is called Pre-Adamite Man. Which he naturally recommends to the readers of Ravelette should they like to know more on the subject. So he's basically just like plugging stuff all through the book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the huh. character, uh, you know, uh, what's his face? Beverly is a Rosicrucian. If you'd like to do, join the Rosicrucian Order, you can write to. And he, he's looking for a daughter of Ish. If you'd like to know more about the daughters of Ish, you can buy my.
2: He's building book a on the brand. Subject.
0: He is. Yeah, he, yeah. He's an influencer. Social
2: media. <laughs> he's, he's, wow. Man before his time.
0: Way before his time. But uh, Ravalet is also something more than a couple hundred page advertisement. I mean, we we would hope. We we wouldn't be doing an episode (laughs) if it was just (laughs) that. It's the center of a mysterious puzzle, which it presents to to the reader. As Randolph promotes his particular brand of occultism, he also complicates the value and meaning of studying magic, insofar as the title character, as well as the antagonist, the magician Ravalet is the cause of much of the trouble that the poor protagonist Beverly encounters in the novel, and the source of much of what Beverly learns about magical mirrors, secret societies, now chemical elixirs. So, you following me on this? Ravalet is not the protagonist. Although it's the title of the story, it's really the enemy of the protagonist. He's the
1: bad guy.
0: But he's also the one that has all the knowledge about this stuff that Randolph sells for a living. So huh. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it's not Beverly, it's Ravalette. Beverly learns it from Ravalette, but Ravalette's kind of a shady dude. Hmm. So let's start with the many ways the protagonist of Randolph's novel is exactly like Randolph. Much like Randolph, Beverly, whose name is Randolph's middle name, is intelligent, overly generous, and bad with money.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: These are all true things about Pascal Beverly Randolph. Yeah. Also, he was a public speaker, letting his soul go forth upon winged words from the rostrum. Randolph was a trance-inspired medium who gave performances in much the same way. He would stand up, the spirits would come into his body, he would speak. He had a tawny complexion resembling that of the Arab children of Beirut or Damascus. James, you'll love this. Beirut is spelled B-E-Y and then root, like the root of
1: a tree. (laughs) No, we don't spell like that anymore. It's like <laughs> Beirut now.
0: Beirut. Uh, and was a blend of at least seven distinct strains of blood. In addition to oh. his complexion, the facial hair matched Randolph's preferred style. He was generally beardless except for a tuft beneath the chin of jet black silky hair and a thin and light mustache. That's exactly how Randolph looked. And he nearly lost one eye in an accident. Just as a side note... <laughs>
2: Well,
1: shit. Nearly.
0: Nearly. (laughs) But that eye is fine. Randolph was an early adopter of spiritualism, becoming a trance medium in the 1850s, attributing his ability to his mother's frequent visits as a spirit immediately after her death. So mom died and then she kept visiting. Randolph found mediumship a bit limiting, though. Spiritualists believe that all supernatural phenomena could be attributed to the spirits of the dead. In Ravalette, the protagonist, Beverly, identifies seven different types of ghosts. You ready for this? I'm going to do all seven. The first one is an image of oneself, so like an astral spirit. Second one is the phantasmal projections of heated fancy. Okay. So uh, you know, like those Sex guys.
2: Extremes? What does that mean? Kind
0: of, yes, yeah, like those guys with the pillows in Japan. Ooh. What? yeah, yeah, like your thought becomes a thing. It's like a tulpa, I guess.
2: Oh, when yeah. you said guys with the pillows in Japan, I was James like, what knows what, are what I'm you talking, talking about. about. They're
0: like, yeah, they're, they're I get it now. Cartoon but... character on the pillow, and they yeah, they love it. Which is fine. We're not <laughs> judging. We don't judge. <laughs> we don't judge here we have japanese listeners we don't judge not that all the japanese are doing this anyway i'm getting myself into trouble the spirits of the dead are the third variety the fourth variety are spiritual beings from other planes so not spirits of the dead but you know from somewhere else in the universe the fifth variety are beings from original worlds who are so fine texture as to defy the material laws which we are compelled to obey so they're like interdimensional beings now
2: Wait, what's the difference between that one and the last one?
0: Uh, I think these are like, so the beings from other planes, those planes may be like new, but these are original worlds. So like dawn of the universe beings.
1: Oh. Got me? Sort of. The old gods.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's a little Lovecraftian. There's the uh, number six is the horrible embodiment of evil thoughts projected by evil people. So you can have your hot fantasy thought, but you can also have your evil, you know, evil
1: eye curses yeah
0: curses mm-hmm. and finally are the good thoughts of good people which are the lovely out creations of aspiring souls like this podcast wow. yeah beverly goes to work as a sailor but is horrible at it so
2: a sailor is that what you said
0: yeah he tries to he tries sailing oh,
2: that's yeah. a turn Fifth? for him
1: <laughs> being bad at a sailor is really dangerous yeah you
0: don't want to be bad at sailing <laughs> certainly not on on the ocean Uh, And attempt suicide until a voice from the ether intervenes. The voice's purpose is not only to rescue Beverly, but to instruct and develop his mediumistic skill. At a dinner party, Beverly fell into a deep trance, feeling as though death was gripping him. And the voice returned saying, Awake, a lesson
3: awaits you. He told me not to fear, but to repose implicit confidence in myself and him, that he would not injure me, but do me good, that his name was Etlavar, that his years were ages long, that he was a companion of those who die and live again, and of those who never taste of death.
0: So I I know listening to this that we're going to get a little mixed up about Beverly and Pascal Beverly Randolph. They sort of overlap. I don't don't mind that. That's sort of intentional. I think the purpose of, of us covering the fictional story that Randolph told is that You know, we can't prove a lot of this in documentary ways, but I think a lot of what he says about the internal feelings and experiences of the character Beverly actually reflect his life. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Because so much of the character is based on him. So maybe Beverly, you know, had suicidal thoughts when he was younger, trying to find his vocation, and then the voice comes to him. You see what I mean?
1: Right, yeah.
0: The voice identifying itself as Etelavar promised to teach Beverly to make an elixir of life. Uh, Also, a Lethian drought, to live fully in the present. That's the purpose of a Lethian drought.
1: Ooh, I want
0: one. Makes you live fully in the present. The water of love, to become magnetic to the opposite sex. And the stone of the philosophers, to transmute substances into gold. And a magic crystal ball.
3: Okay. Those are pretty cool. Picture to yourself a soul quitting earth, perhaps forever, and hovering over it like a gold-crested cloud, at set of sun, when all the wind are hushed to sleep on the still and loving bosom of its protecting god of thine.
0: That brings us to the scene we started with, Beverly moping by the side of the road. Two American Indians, an older man and a teenage boy, approach along with a teenage girl, adopted and raised by the American Indians, but coming from a place unknown to her. At this same moment, the book's narrator happens across Beverly, now with two American Indians and the girl who is not an American Indian, but was raised by those American Indians. And they all become friends. You got me? So these two uh, Native Americans approach Beverly, with plus this girl who was raised with them, but she's not Native right. American. And now they're all buddies by the side of the road, like you do. Yay. Here, Beverly's story sets off on a significant tangent. He leaves the American Indians and the adopted teenage girl behind to go off with the narrator. Now, I mentioned those folks for a reason, so remember them, but we'll come back to them. Okay. Goes off with the narrator. Now, the narrator of the story is not Beverly. Separate person, major character, never gets a name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's common with these stories. He's a cult. Book, yeah. So just, like, not name characters sometimes. They, mystery I guess. The coming
0: race. Uh, yeah. Bulwer Lytton did not name the narrator. So I'm going to call the narrator Nary.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Sort of like Larry.
1: Call him Nary. But
0: Nary. So Beverly. <laughs> N. Yeah. But that's not, that's not, I'm just, I made that up. So Bear, Beverly decides to school Nary on Rosicrucianism, presumably because Nary is interested in the topic, but it's yeah, unclear. Beverly, it seems, is on a quest, which has prompted him to join the semi-secret fraternal order of the Rosicrucians. They're semi-secret because of the degree to which Beverly and his creative Randolph give a lot of the secrets away in the pages of (laughs) Ravelette. Historically, though, the Rosicrucians were super secret. It was impossible to figure out how to join them. No requests were ever honored to join the Rosicrucians, but here Randolph is. like He's advertising, come join the Rosicrucians. Beverly names prominent Rosicrucians he's met uh, in this universe. All of them real people. So Beverly is naming them. Randolph is really naming them, and they're all real. They include Edward Bulwer Lytton of Zanoni really? and coming race fame. Also Hargrave Jennings, who's going to get an episode eventually. Uh, Hargrave Jennings was way into penis worship and vagina worship, genital worship. He had all these theories about them. Uh, and. Uh, finally french emperor napoleon the not the first but the third having made a name for himself as a trance speaker much like randolph beverly finds himself at the french emperor's court where he meets an italian count who is able to mesmerize 17 people using a mirror <laughs> Whoa.
2: 17 people for one mirror
0: yeah the italian count okay. so a new character the italian count Beverly wants to <laughs> learn the Count's power, and the Count offers to teach him if he agrees to join the secret order that the Count is in. the uh, Christians. Presumably. The Count tells Beverly that self-love, emulation, and will are the trinity in unity around which the physical, or sorry, psychical republic revolves. Self-love, emulation, and will. Got it? Yes. And by finding the weak link in this trinity, unique to each person, the Count is able to control anyone. So he just figures out if you don't love yourself enough, or you're not good at emulation, or you have a weak will. And then he mesmerizes you. The Scotsman Hume and the head of the Rosicrucian Order in India are particularly skilled and can produce the spectral bodies of phantoms, says the Count, other prominent members of his order, and the Count demonstrates by producing a crown of spectral fire on Napoleon III. Whoa. Yeah. Beverly is impressed, but he's like, "No, I don't want to join."
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "What can I do with a crown of fire? It's not, it's not practical. It's
0: a completely useless (laughs) carnival trick there." So the I can entertain children at birthday parties. The Rosicrucians are persistent, though they send letters, and in one dramatic episode, they pin a letter to his robe as he sleeps. Oh reminding him to achieve the goal he'd cross the ocean from America to accomplish. I'll say here that Pascal Beverly Randolph did go to Europe. The author. So the goal relates to an ancient curse. Beverly tells the story of a poet who solved a riddle. Long ago and far away, a king made it a condition of marrying his daughter that first the suitor must solve a riddle. Does this sound familiar? It's like a classic fairy tale trope.
1: Yeah, I couldn't couldn't give you a specific example, but yes, it does sound familiar.
0: <laughs> well, there's the... Uh, it reminds me of the Greek story of Atalanta. Yep. You had to outrun her or else you would That's what I was going to
2: literally say, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but if the suitor guessed wrong, they would be executed. Same same deal. The riddle asks what comes of the sun, but is not the sun. Any ideas?
2: Light? That's a, I don't know. Heat? No, that is the sun. I don't
0: know.
1: That's, that's... Nah. Uh, I, I'll give you... When we look at the sun, we're seeing light that's really old, right? It's
0: true. That's true. And it comes out of the sun. It is no longer the sun. It's come off the sun. Uh, the poet learns that there is no difficulty to him that truly wills, and willing himself to solve the puzzle, he gives the king an answer to the riddle. Here you go, James. And the answer is life, light, and love. So you got one part.
1: Ah, uh, 33%.
0: <laughs> I mean, life, I guess, because the sun is necessary for life on earth love I, I guess that's just pretty
2: yeah the sun
0: loves us maybe the sun is sort of the center of a lot of religion so in a way it, we could conceive of it that way there's, sure there's logic.
2: It's, it's gonna blow up on us eventually right so
0: i mean all relationships have uh their, you're right their moments ups and
2: downs <laughs> their yeah <ups>
0: and downs. <laughs> <laughs> The riddle is solved. The king is impressed. A marriage is arranged, except that an evil vizier whispers in the king's ear that the youth has won by sorcery. That vizier's name is Jafar. Jafar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. not real. <laughs> I huh? was gonna say, is this
3: Jafar?
0: <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's very similar. Rather than throwing a, well, I mean, a la- the actual historical you know, Arabian Night has lots of evil counselors in it, so the character is based on that. Rather than throwing a royal wedding for this poet, the king has him drugged down to the basement where he and the vizier watch as the boy's head is separated from his body. Okay. Yeah, he's about to get to marry the daughter and bang and bang, but no, 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 no. Not for you. Before he can be executed, though, the poet utters the first half of a curse, binding king and poet and vizier in a millennia of struggle. They become a little, like, trinity of pain.
2: Okay, okay, I respect it.
0: Beverly is the reincarnation of the cursed king who must seek out and marry a daughter of Ish in order to lift the curse, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Through his many lifetimes, he is tempted to success by the poet, also known as the Stranger, who has come to be a member of a fraternity called the Power of Light. He is also tempted to destruction by the vizier called Dula Bell, who has become a member of the otherworldly Power of Shadow. So there's these two secret cults who are fighting over the soul of Beverly in incarnation after incarnation through lifetimes.
1: Yeah. This is very cool. I'm into it. I, I Whenever I see something like this in stories, I, I'm on board. Yeah, it's pretty badass. The, the generational thing.
0: Nari, which is, remember, my name for the narrator, <laughs> shares Beverly's take on the Rosicrucians, which is more fraternal than it is supernatural and occulty. They believe that God helps those who help themselves and have adopted the word try as their motto. Just try.
2: Aw, that's kind of nice,
0: isn't it? Yeah, Uh, Beverly himself, Pascal Beverly Randolph, also adopts "try" as his motto. I think there's a skull and crossbones associated with the word "try" in his motto.
1: Oh, (laughs) try to sail a boat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Try try to avoid the pirates. They believe that every Rosicrucian is bound to help every other, so long as he can do it with a clear conscience. This protects every Rosicrucian want and mitigates sorrow to allow members to become as useful as possible. It's a little socialist order, kind of. Members pay an initiation fee with regular dues of a dollar a month. Lodges offer in return lectures, debates, books, scientific papers, models, experiments in all physical sciences, essays on philosophy, etc.
2: That's a pretty good deal compared to, like, Scientology.
1: It, it, or, like, university.
2: So that's true. It, Versus it's, a degree.
0: It's a com- so Beverly says it's a combination of a mutual protection society and a school of men. He says it will be seen that there is nothing magical here, yet I do not doubt the members could tell strange stories if they chose. They're still on the men thing? Uh, men and women. Okay, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. They're
2: always still on the men thing. I... <laughs>
0: I mean
1: they got to get over
0: it. The thing about this order what it makes me think of is the benevolent societies uh, particularly among African American communities where you would pay in to like a benevolent society, like a funeral society and they would it was sort of like life insurance, they would pay for your funeral when you died. So you would belong oh, to this club and yeah, they would pitch in when you died or you know if you got sick, they would pitch in. So it's a combination of that with Sort of like the Theosophical Society in my mind, you know, traditionally, the point of the Theosophical Society was to study, uh, you know, things, magic, science, philosophy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: After joining the Rosicrucians, Beverly is visited by a strange little old man named Miacus, who can materialize and vanish from the room at will.
1: He sounds Greek.
0: He does, doesn't he? Miakas. Since he can
1: materialize and vanish from the room at will. <laughs> oh, not because of the name. <laughs>
0: Miakis promises the secret of everlasting life to Beverly, also a very Greek thing to do. Yeah. Constantly, the Greeks are approaching you and saying, hey, can I g- help you live forever?
1: Eat this Kalamata olive, you'll live forever. <laughs> oh
0: <my God. laughs> Only if it was that simple. Little pepperoncini. Beverly begins to experiment with protozone. Protozone. So, uh, Miyakus inspires him. After Beverly causes an explosion heating up this substance, Miachus returns to save him from blowing himself up and promises to help in his alchemical experiments from then on. He's like, I can't leave you alone, man. Hmm. Miyakus warns against the use of belladonna, hashish, opium, and many other vegetable preparations that might be named because they expand the soul, but they also damn it! Exclamation point.
1: Whoa! (laughs) This guy, he he knows what it's about. (laughs) He knows all the drugs. He's like, nah, man, you stay away from that.
0: (laughs) He teaches Beverly about magic mirrors charged with special liquid and preparations. There is light within light, atmosphere within atmosphere, and intelligent beings who dwell within them. And who can commune with us only through such mirrors? Thoughts are things. They are real substantial actualities if not actual matter thoughts live die and grow now attend gaze steadily and firmly desire to see something no matter what beverly sees a dog in the magic mirror as a symbol of his soul which you know is not so bad it's a symbol for his enduring fidelity perfect trust and confidence unbounded love and faith Oh, that's his Patronus.
1: That's really sweet.
0: (laughs) In Paris, Beverly meets the title character, Ravalette, for the first time. Or is it really the first time? Oh, shit. Remember, we have incarnations, right? Over and over again. Oh. Oh. And Beverly is the point of the Trinity. Mm. Uh, So, meets him at a museum. They strike up a conversation about Egyptian artifacts like you do. Having traveled the world, Ravalet finds that all... Re- That's how I used to pick up chicks. Having travel. Hey, what do you think of this sarcophagus, I would say?
1: <laughs> it's sexy. we yeah.
0: it would just be at a dive bar. There would be no coffins. Have- I just ask. Uh, I carried pictures with me of sarcophagi. <laughs> Having traveled the world, Ravalet finds that all religions are, in fact, the same at bottom, insofar as their respective and apparently dissimilar devotees do homage at the same shrine of the same great mystery. That's very us. We're with him on that, right? Yeah. Modern humans are unaware that in ancient times, knowledge was infinitely superior in some respects to what exists today. The pyramids, for example, are older than the 6,000 years of known Egyptian time. He's being generous there, but yeah. Ravalet invited Beverly to his house in the Rue Michel Le Comte near the Grand Rue de Temple. Ravalet questioned or the Grand Street of the Temple. Yeah?
1: Yes, uh French, right?
0: French. <laughs> in- <laughs> We're not in Greece anymore. We're in Paris. Right, yeah. Ravalet questions... but Be- well, I don't think we were ever in Greece, but it was a Greek guy. Ravalet questions <laughs> yeah, Beverly as to whether elfins, fairies, genii, and magicians are of this world or of the spirit world, and Beverly intuitively answers that they are of neither, but of a third world. Oh, sure. Duh. Right? Everybody knows that. Ravalet is impressed by this answer. He was just quizzing him. He knew. <laughs> He tells Beverly, who has gained much success through a mesmeric trance, that mesmerism began as a useful tool, but has since become absurd, scamming people out of their money with nonsense. Clairvoyants are similarly ridiculous. Psychics. Ravalette invites Beverly to join his secret fraternity. Everybody wants this guy to join their club, which is not the Rosicrucians, but of which many Rosicrucians
1: are members. Ooh, it's like a little subgroup. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't... Uh, Subgroups are... Actually, subgroups are pretty cool.
0: (laughs) You made a complete turnaround in the middle of that sentence. Yeah, you
1: know what? I like this guy. I trust him now. You
0: trust Ravalette. Okay. (laughs) When Beverly tries to seek out Ravalette again, he discovers that the house in the Rue michel le Comte was not Ravalette's but belonged to a caterer. Oh, James, look who you've trusted. Ravalette has disappeared, ghosted him.
2: A caterer? Like a food? Like, what do you mean a caterer? Yeah,
0: just a caterer. It's a guy in a bow tie.
2: Okay, that's what I thought you meant.
0: (laughs) Seeking out reports of where he has gone, Beverly discovers that everyone who had seen him with Ravalette that day saw Ravalette as someone other than the old man Beverly believed him to be. So he goes around and says, didn't you see me with this guy? Didn't you see me with this guy? And people are like, no, I saw you with this, like, teenage kid. And somebody else is like, I saw you with an old woman. Everybody sees him with a different kind of person.
2: Hmm.
0: Whoa. As it turns out, the Italian Count, remember who was doing the mesmerizing in the beginning, or earlier anyway, Miakas, the Greek, and Ravelette all offer a critique of spiritualism and spiritualist trance, promoting new occult visions on the nature of the spirit world akin to the hierarchies Randolph had begun to espouse, as well as later Britain Chevalier Louis-to-be, also Helena Blavatsky. These figures... We're all one and the same man. Whoa. Dun,
2: dun, dun.
0: It was like Scooby-Doo wearing different masks. Twist and turns,
1: Rob. <laughs> Twist and turns. It
0: was magic Scooby-Doo, though, because you would look at him and everybody would see a different person. So it's not like he was wearing an actual like Mission Impossible mask. He was using magic.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Ravalette is Dula Bell, the evil ancient vizier of the Powers of the Darkness cult. Yeah, the shadows. Shadow man, yeah. Oh, there you go. You remember this better than I do, James. (laughs) Back to Nary the narrator, who's been in Cairo. So the narrator just vanished for a long time. He went to Cairo. And he travels to meet Beverly in Paris. His travel companion along the way is a Zoroastrian named Imhokais. Imhokais. Im-Hokais. Sup, Im. Im? Hokais describes the Gwebrace or Zoroastrians as a race and religion not descended from Adam, but from-ish.
2: Oh. Mm. Okay, here we go.
0: It, here, of course, Randolph drops a footnote to read his book, pre Man. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see it.
2: We love a man who plugs himself, you know?
0: Plugging away. Hokais worked for the British Embassy, sending messages back and forth to Persia. His wife died when his daughter was born, and then a tragic double whammy happened, and his child was abducted and taken to America. So his daughter's born, wife dies in childbirth, and like his kid gets scooped up and spirited off.
2: That's a bad Bad day, yeah.
0: Except that since then, Hokais and his gypsy nanny have succeeded in tracking the girl down. She is, of course, now a beautiful young woman. He has brought this girl with him to Paris. Hokais also knows Ravalette, and he and Beverly have both received notes from Ravalette asking them to meet him if, that is, they are ready to join his super secret order, even more secret than the Rosicrucians, and who James knows to be the...
1: The uh, Power of Shadows? Was that it?
0: Dark, evil people. So Beverly, Ravalette, Mary Hokeis, and Hokeis' daughter all end up in the same room. So if you're having trouble keeping track of the characters, don't worry anymore. Everyone's in the same room anyway. Screw it. When when Hokeis meets Ravalette, he throws himself at the man's feet, believing him to be a genius or god of fire and flame. His daughter's not so impressed and calls him a fiend who has haunted her. In-
1: oh, <laughs> fire doesn't impress anybody in this book.
0: Yeah, no. encouraging her to marry anyone at all. So apparently, Ravalet has been visiting the daughter's dreams and being like, "Marry somebody, anybody. I don't really care who. Marry somebody." So he's not really Jafar in that sense. He's just he's he's like he's like a cross between Jafar and and like your grandma who really wants you to get married and have grandkids. <laughs> Why haven't you settled down?
2: <laughs> that grandma like gives up, gives out your number to like you're random right. men.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: isn't
2: that my waiter friend cute? has a
1: do- has a daughter?
0: <laughs> that waiter's really cute. I think I'm gonna give him your number. Right, you're so handsome. <laughs> He's a vet. <laughs> He's going to law school back in America. While she was under the care of an old American Indian. Uh, Ravalette had visited her in the guise of a fortune teller predicting she would she would soon meet a sad looking young man and be tempted to marry him but she shouldn't or else it would bring doom down on her and him and anyone else she cares to think of just doom for everybody he's like a mafioso here gonna kill he, you and your cousin
2: he will not leave this poor girl
0: alone and he's really all up in her business as if that wasn't enough so it's like grandma telling, whoring you out to anybody except for that guy that you're with <laughs> right <laughs> I just don't think he's right for you. Uh, As if that wasn't enough of a warning, he comes back in a dream to give the same speech. But a second glorious being robed in majesty and beauty joined the dream and bade her to love the poor creature, that sad young man, showing her what the young man would look like. I'm going to blow everyone's mind. The sad young man is Beverly. Beverly is the cursed king from the fairy tale. And she is the girl, remember from the very beginning, who was raised by American Indians and who he met oh. on the side of the road.
1: It's uh, a circle.
0: All links together. Very 19th century twist. Hmm. You can see it coming after a while. You can't see it coming yeah, for a while. Yeah. I, I'm, on, I'm like 200 pages in, so it's not like you can see this coming on page 50, but you can see it coming on like page 200. Hmm police stream into the room for some reason and beverly forgives ravelet for his role in thwarting his union with his daughter avish whose name by the way is evamblea all is well with the world of the fiction but all is not necessarily so well with its author pascal beverly randolph so that's how it ends just police <laughs> jump into like storm the room and yeah, that, that's kind of everyone, anti-dramatic yeah, everyone's name is revealed and yeah all is well with the world except for pascal beverly randolph so as I've been saying, the story is a kind of fantasia on Randolph's life, capturing many points of his biography, but adding the romance of the cursed king, the vampire Dula Belle, and the beautiful daughter of Ish. P.B. Randolph was born in New York in 1825. He was an illegitimate child raised in the slums of Five Points. His mother died during the worldwide cholera epidemic in 1831 or 32, when he was six or seven years old, and Randolph was passed through a string of relatives and friends. Sad childhood. Mm-hmm. yeah. Of mixed-race ancestry, he alternately identified as black and disavowed being African-American. During Mm -hmm. the Civil War, he worked to recruit African-American men for the Union Army and moved to New Orleans after the war to help newly freed slaves by teaching and advocating for the Freedmen's Bureau and giving lectures. Hell yeah. Yeah, so although he he had a mixed, I guess, relationship with his race, ultimately he, he did go out of his way to participate i guess in the community how
2: how could he not like at that time you know
0: he called himself a doctor concentrating specifically on sexual disorders which he attributed to a depletion in vital forces or fluids often caused by masturbation and lack of proper excitation in both male and female partners during sex a little push and pull there Mm. not a big fan of masturbation but he does like women to be aroused so
2: okay i guess that's fine
0: (laughs) These ideas would later blossom into radical new theories (laughs) about the occult dimensions of sexual stimulation and release. A world traveler, Randolph visited England, France, and Germany as a medium in 1855 and returned to Europe in 1857, visiting London and Paris and probably Egypt. Celebrity mediums were far more common in 1857 than they are today. We probably have like, what would you say, 13 celebrity mediums?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's like... Yeah, but... It was
0: 13 or so.
2: I feel like we say mediums in quotes. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But back then they were all... It was like a big thing, you know? They would go around doing these tours. From 1848 through the 1880s, millions listened to lectures delivered by the spirits of the dead through mediums like Randolph in public halls, or they participated in seances in parlors, like their home, their home parlor. But Randolph discovered something on his travels that would encourage him to abandon spirit mediumship forever. He brought back hashish, the main ingredient of what he called his marvelous drug, doam mesk, or the Woo! medicine of immortality. <laughs> Woo! Yay for Party hashish!
2: Party it up! Yeah.
0: <laughs> he claimed uh, that doam mesk had transformed him from an atheist to a believer. So be careful with that oh, stuff.
1: Shit. Well, well, hashish does. Hashish has the word "ish" in it.
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's wow. <laughs> profound, profound discovery there, James i look forward to your paper on the subject (laughs) according to his biographer john patrick devaney before the civil war randolph was very likely the largest importer of hashish into america hell yeah through the use of hashish he experienced incredible visions and expanded consciousness and traveled to the realms of the spirits penetrating the various levels of heaven and hell and discovering the fate of the soul for all of us when we die it's odd that in his novel, the character Ravalet, disguised as Miakas, spoke out against the use of hashish. Remember that? Miakas was like, yes. don't play with oh, hashish.
2: yeah.
0: yeah like, don't play with the drugs. So what do we make of that? Uh, perhaps the great deceiver Ravalet was simply trying to dissuade Beverly from the wonders of hashish to, like, you know, keep him from having his yeah. big revelation. Mm-hmm. But he also taught Beverly about magic mirrors. And Randolph liked to experiment with crystals and magic mirrors. All our witches out there can identify her.
2: (laughs) I know, that's right.
0: Yeah, collecting those crystals. In the mirrors, visions of occult beings and realities were revealed to him. The art of creating a magic mirror involved sexual fluids. So I think I was a little bit more, uh, uh, (laughs) what do you want to say? Euphemistic before about the fluids. They were, uh, it's, it's sexual fluids.
1: So he's making these magic mirrors with his own. And his, well, ladies, yeah. Oh, uh, stuff. he's okay. not
2: just, he's not just jizzing all over these mirrors himself, well, <laughs> right? He's like.
0: Well, I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
2: Oh, does he? have many mirrors you <laughs> trying to
1: sell?
0: <laughs> but, but again, not, not a big fan of masturbation.
2: That's, that's what I was kind of yeah. like questioning. Okay.
0: Ironic. Randolph believed that sex generated excess magnetism, which could then consecrate and empower a mirror as an aid to achieve magical visions. So remember, he believes that the sexual fluids have vitality and vital energy, so that's why they give the mirror power, and that's also why you don't want to just, you know, go spilling it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Miakas didn't go into these details in the book. Beverly says that Ravalet's teachings on the magic mirror were one reason he chose to forgive the ancient deceiver. Probably Randolph was more ambivalent about hashish. After all, drugs can have serious drawbacks, even for occultists like Alistair Crowley, uh, who ended up pretty seriously burnt by his drug use. Magic mirrors, on the other hand, are far less damaging to the organism. What's the harm? Hmm. While his career started over for... While his career started over a decade after America's first spiritualist mediums, Randolph was arguably the first medium to come up with a practice devoted to achieving direct personal control over supernatural forces. Up until Randolph, mediums were passive and functioned at the whim of the spirits. Randolph had a difficult time controlling the method and means of his spirit trances and would frequently drop into trance during conversations. Also in private meetings and at parties. Can you imagine that?
1: Yeah, I think I've seen that. It's a, it's a bummer.
0: It's a bummer. At it's a bummer. When you're talking to a guy and he drops into a trance in the middle of the party. Yeah. Especially when he's in charge of the the, the Spotify playlist. Come on.
1: I guess some, somebody going to take care of him.
0: <laughs> he came to believe that evil spirits were responsible for these possessions and rather than simply giving himself over to them, he thought he should take control over these beings. Again, We can see this theme in the push and pull between Beverly and Ravalette on the subject of mesmerism. Ravalette, though a representative of the power of the shadows, seems to have a perspective
3: that is much closer to Randolph's own perspective. The majority of spiritual mediums are men and women who are sensitive, lonely, bereft, and forsaken, failing to find sympathy on earth amidst their fellows, who are thus preyed by the vampires from both eternity and time.
0: Randolph espoused belief in a celestial hierarchy of spirits, and he claimed to have interacted with a series of secret brotherhoods, beginning with the Rosicrucians and ending with the brotherhood of Eulis. E-U-L-I-S. Eulis. Eulis may have been the unmentioned fraternity that Ravalet belonged to, although likely it was the, the shadow fraternity, and uh, who, who Ravalet had hoped to recruit Beverly and Hokais into. Randolph recorded travels between America, Europe, and points further east... Some of those points, we're not exactly sure where he landed, though. He professed to have been indoctrinated into the secrets of occult magic by a Rosicrucian brother. Just like Beverly, He, his encounter with a true Rosicrucian, however, is difficult to validate. When the fictional Beverly meets the Italian Count, who begs him to join his fraternity, this is presumably based on an episode in Randolph's own life. Randolph claimed that his second trip to the Near East in 1861 and 1862 was to seek out the Supreme Dome of the Rosicrucian temple? While Randolph may have met occultists believing they were carrying on a Rosicrucian tradition, the variant of Rosicrucianism that he brought home was truly and uniquely his own. In San Francisco in 1861, Randolph formed several different fraternal organizations under the name Rosicrucian. Fraternal orders were wildly popular in America in the 1860s, and Randolph capitalized on the craze. Two and a half years later, he received a mysterious order to depart and boarded a ship for New York, and then he went on to Egypt and Asia.
1: He kind of created some Rosicrucian groups.
0: Uh, Yeah, but claiming that they have this secret origin, right, to give them weight And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Who knows where he got his source material for his American Rosicrucians. Right, right. A major theme of Randolph's life, sex magic, is also sublimated in Ravalette. The cure for Beverly's curse is a kind of alchemical union with a woman from a unique bloodline. There's a sex magic to that, right? So you need to have sex with this chick, right? You need to marry her, and, and you can only be cured through her, you see? But the story itself doesn't go any deeper because anything too overtly sexual would have scandalized a Victorian reading public and made anything like commercial success for the book a non-starter, which you know, Randolph of course hoped for. Sex for Randolph was a process of blending. Souls were either male or female, and each sought out the other. Sex precipitated a blending of souls, which when paired with a similarly elevated partner according to the doctrine of affinities allowed for the elevation of the individual's own soul. For Randolph, who married several wives, sometimes without bothering to divorce the previous one, not cool. <laughs> but, but remember, Beverly is his main quality is that he's loyal as an old dog. Right. These affinities were not forever, and the true adept would likely move between partners as he or she progressed. So Randolph's saying, "You gotta, you know, if your spirit elevates, you gotta find an elevated partner."
2: So he would have, would he be, have been like anti-free love then? Because, do you know what I'm saying?
0: I think it's a complicated topic for Randolph, far less so than somebody like Victoria Woodhull. For him, I yeah. think, you know, there he personally, I think, lived a life that was in line with free love, moving from person to person. But he was also very much about monogamy, in a way. Randolph's most significant book, Dealings with the Dead, was the product of his blending with a very sick girl named Cynthia. Randolph had practiced blending with Cynthia when she was alive, and after she died, her spirit resumed blending with him in order to convey the secrets
3: of the afterlife. Many an awe for the periods in which I did not seem to be myself, but had an invincible conviction that I was Cynthia for the time being, instead of who and what I am. For I was myself and Cynthia, never simultaneously. But in separate instance, now her, then myself, at first very imperfectly, but gradually approaching an absolute and complete merciment of soul.
0: In dealings with the dead, Randolph and Cynthia detailed a unique vision of the afterlife. He argued that there was both a spirit world and a soul world, and the soul world was separate from the spirit world, or at least as separate from the spirit world, as the spirit world is from us. So... There's these layers of the other world. Similarly, his character, Ravelette would claim that soul is not material, whereas spirit has a material aspect. A little bit more like an astral spirit, you
3: know? People in whom intellect predominates over intuition are after-death pilgrims in the spirit world or middle state. Where was my soul when it made these interesting discoveries? The response is not in space, not in time. I had become a resident of a new universe, differing greatly from upon which man's vision rests, as that itself is different from dreamland. And he discusses his theory of the soul monad. All matter is alive, with imprisoned spirits. Every globule of this latter, unique, contains a monad, a germ, concealing with itself's capacity quite infinite in numbers and power. During its long probation, it ever seeks to escape its outer bonds, Just as certain shellfish and serpents cast their old envelopes.
1: What's a monad? A germ?
0: (laughs) A monad is the one substance of all being. So often the word is used in reference to the notion that God is what makes up everything. Oh, I see. Yeah, that we're all made of one thing, one unitary substance. He lost most of his property in the Great Boston Fire, which also burned medium and fellow American occult pioneer Emma Harding Britton's Western Star magazine to the ground. And he suffered a serious injury, partially paralyzing his left side when he fell 25 feet, walking along some railroad tracks. Interesting, the note about the eye, right, in Ravalette?
1: Nearly lost it.
0: Desperate for cash, he began publishing tracks he had formerly only communicated through a personal letter, and offered to sell a one-half stake in his whole life's work for thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. Dang!
2: I mean, that would have gotten you through the rest of your life back then, right?
0: Pretty much. I think he was looking to retire in a way, or to move on to other things. All right. In eighteen seventy-three or eighteen seventy-four, he made one last trip to Europe and points further east. The Mysteries of Ulysses, Randolph's final work, was the product of this trip. Inspired by members of a Muslim sect devoted in part to the use of hashish for sex uh, and spiritual development, this book was, according to Devaney, Randolph's ultimate and finest exposition of the sexual mysteries of the universe. The Mysteries of Ulysses served as a guidebook for Randolph's final fraternal order, the Brotherhood of Ulysses. Randolph established the Brotherhood in Nashville in 1874. What a place for it. It only lasted three months, and he returned to California, where he prospected for gold and silver and re-established his original Rosicrucian order, teaching about uses of the magic mirror and the full power of sexual magic to his initiates. Perhaps Eulis is what he had in mind with Ravalette, who claimed to belong to a fraternity which included Rosicrucians but was not Rosicrucian, or Eulis may have been the power of light that the legendary stranger belonged to. Unlike his fantasy hero, Beverly, Randolph's story did not have anything like a wonderful, happy conclusion. On the 29th of July, 1875, now in Toledo, Randolph had been quarreling with his wife. He called on a neighbor to get her for him, but the neighbor told him his wife wasn't at home. He promised the neighbor that he would be dead in two hours, and asked her to bear witness that all of his property should be given to his son. Then, in broad daylight, on a neighborhood street in Toledo, Pascal Beverly Randolph shot himself. The newspaper report of the incident implied that he may have been drinking at the time and was apparently very jealous of his wife, Kate, possibly cheating with another man. Occultists speculated that Helena Petrovna Blavatsky had belonged to the same secret Asian brotherhood as Randolph and harbored ill will toward him. After all, both had studied in Egypt. According to this theory, in his final moments, Randolph had attempted to shoot a bullet that through occult means would transpose itself through space to lodge in Blavatsky's heart. But at the last second, Blavatsky got the best of him, and he ended up shooting himself in the forehead that's pascal beverly randolph
2: wow yeah that's a pretty crazy ending
1: yeah it's tragic story
0: yeah quite a guy quite a character really remarkable Did a lot of stuff yeah yeah well i mean what most impresses you about him
1: uh probably this uh the sex magician stuff (laughs) that that i haven't seen anything like that it's pretty that's pretty amazing um but also, I mean, his his novel is probably his crowning achievement.
0: I think the novel's pretty cool. I don't know if Randolph would have thought of that as his crowning achievement, but um, I, I think it, you know, for our purposes today, it's, it really is a key onto him, you know, the internal workings of his mind, you know?
1: Yeah. I bet it was really fun for him to do the Rosicrucian Crucian thing in California. I bet that was his favorite. He was obsessed.
0: Yeah, obsessed with creating these communities of occultists. So are we in a way, although we're doing it on the internet. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, Norway.
0: Hey, Norway. What's up? What's up, Seattle? Uh, yeah. You know, gathering people together with a common purpose. He just continually kept doing that in various aspects of his career. I mean, I don't want to lionize him too much. He was a complicated guy. There are a lot of contradictions in his story uh, and a lot of sadness and tragedy in his story. Uh, But generally a a really interesting figure who I think a lot of folks just don't know about. He's worth knowing more about.
2: For sure. Especially like, I don't even just for black history, like purposes, like he's, such an influential figure like it's insane that i don't i never heard his name before you like you know
0: i i think that's true olivia but there are when we think about occultism we often think about it as this european white thing
2: yeah it's like really white well especially now i think too
0: it's a complete misnomer. Yeah. It, there's such a, tr- you know, it, and th- this comes down to our definition of occultism. If we think about occultism as this Western thing, fine, mm. to a certain extent. Randolph is a Western occultist, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I would like to incorporate into this sort of third ways of knowing the tribal magical traditions and indigenous traditions of American and African and Australian, you know, people around the world, Uh, magic is not a white thing.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll get off our soapbox. (laughs) James, do you have anything to say while we're on the soapbox? You want to hop up there or are you good?
1: No, I, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, like, uh, it's a human thing, you know? And Pascal Beverly Randolph is an amazingly interesting human. Yeah, mm. you know, um, I think everybody should should learn about him, at least a little bit, or at least uh, know what he went through.
0: Here's the cool thing: now they have.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> we what just a cool did that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Olivia, bring us on home.
2: I hereby adjourn and declare a close this meeting, the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, till such a time as we get together and do it again.
0: Our voice today came from Courtney Lang, playing the role of Pascal Beverly Randolph. We had one more little voice in there. We had Luke Kinneman playing uh, our Greek, Miakas. who's was also French and sundry other things. Joining me at the mic uh, was Olivia Litterall, Grandmaster of the Order.
2: It's been real.
0: And James Kaplanjus. It's been
1: phenomenal. Phenomenal. What a day. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: Take that, Olivia. Mm. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening and uh, join us next time here on A Call Confessions.
1: Bye. Bye bye.